Good morning. Today's reading can be found in 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7, and that is on page 967 in your pew Bibles. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Becky. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be back in the pulpit. I hope it's uh, as good for you for me to be back in the pulpit as it is for me to be back in the pulpit. But I'm very grateful over this past three weeks uh, to listen uh, to have a chance to listen and sit under the word with Pastor Johnny, Pastor Eric, and Pastor Greg. And uh, what a privilege we have as a congregation uh, to have such fantastic preaching. So I was able to catch the sermons, whether online and a couple times I was here. And uh, so such a privilege and uh, grateful for them. But it's good to be coming to the tail end of summer and be coming to the tail end to be getting uh, into maybe some normal rhythms. I don't know how you feel maybe you prefer summer, prefer the fall, I don't know. I like sometimes just to get into the, the rote routine. Uh, that's maybe a reflection of my personality. But it's good to be here uh, this morning, getting back into the rhythms of the fall. And uh, some of our students are back, I know, so uh, starting to make their way uh, back to Calvary. So it's good to have you if you're coming back into the area. Also, I'm thinking about uh, the link retreat uh, that is coming up this Saturday. So. If you've been out and about this summer and have not had as much of a chance to connect with Calvary folks, let me encourage you to come to the Link Retreat on Saturday. There's still time to register. You can do so online and would love uh, to connect with you on Saturday. So be looking for that. And then also, I got news in between services, but Ray and Ruth Leaf, who are right over here, uh, are our longtime missionaries, and uh, they have been living in the area, but you guys are moving now, I understand, to Ohio. Oklahoma. Starts with an O and is far away. That's what I remember. <laughs> yeah, so this will be your last Sunday kind of uh, visiting with us on an easier basis. So make sure you say hi uh, to Ray and Ruth and just let them know uh, you're grateful for their service on behalf of Calvary and on behalf of the Lord, but it's good to have you guys with us uh, this morning. So. All right, so we took a bit of a break from our 2 Corinthians sermon series over the past three or four weeks or so, and uh, this morning we're picking back up our sermon series, Yet Always Rejoicing. And one of the themes uh, that occurs throughout 2 Corinthians is the theme of God's comfort. And uh, today's text in 7, 5 through 7 also emphasizes or speaks about God's comfort. And maybe you could use a little bit of comfort this morning. I don't know what problems or situations you might have brought into church with you, but I think we could always all use a little bit of God's comfort. And I mentioned a number of weeks ago when I told us that we'd be taking a break that 7-5, where we're picking up this morning, marks a significant 
a turn or point, maybe we could even say a returning point in 2 Corinthians, because in chapter 7, verse 5, Paul picks back up a subject that he mentioned way back in chapter 2, verse 12. So back in 2, verse 12 uh, and 13, which is a passage that I preached on a year ago. I had to go back and look at my preaching calendar. And I preached on chapter 2, verse 12, exactly one year ago, this Sunday in August. So it's been five chapters and an entire year since we've been back into this same topic that Paul broached there that he now picks back up here in chapter 7. And scholars have observed that this five-chapter digression, or this five chapters, is the longest digression of any of Paul's digressions. Paul has, is known for his digressions, but this is his longest. So it took us a whole year to get through Paul's digression, and now we're back to where he, the point he was making in chapter 2. And since it's been a minute since we talked about Titus, and why that's related to God's comfort. All right, so to rewind uh, back and to give us ourselves a little bit of a context, this will be a uh, repeat for some of you that have been around, but Paul planted the church in Corinth, and he stayed there 18 months, which was the longest that he had stayed in any church that he had planted up to that point. And so during that 18 months, he had become rather fond of the Corinthians and developed a very warm relationship with them. And then after 18 months, he continued on in his church planting endeavors and preaching the gospel, uh, but he never lost uh, contact and his uh, feelings of affection for the Corinthians. And after he had gone, he heard that something had gone wrong back in Corinth. Someone, we can read in chapter 2, verse 5, began causing trouble in the church of Corinth. Now, we don't know exactly who this troublemaking someone was. It might have been one of the super apostles that Paul mentioned here in our letter in 2 Corinthians. We've talked about the super apostles before, but the super apostles weren't really all that super. They were these false teachers that came in after Paul had left, and they began to teach a false gospel, but the super apostles were very well-dressed, well-credentialed, they were wealthy, really eloquent, and they began to uh, cast aspersions on Paul and to discredit him and discredit his ministry and so maybe this is reference to one of the super apostles. We don't know who it was, but whoever it was, when Paul came back to Corinth to visit in Corinth after he had been gone for a while, he confronted and had conflict with this troublemaker. And it seems that the Corinthians did not rally to Paul's side like he had expected. And so when Paul then left town, he left town with a strained and bruised relationship between him and the Corinthians. The whole visit, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, had been painful. So Paul, after he had left Corinth with this painful visit, he wrote a candid letter to the Corinthians, and it's this 
candid letter is now lost. So it's actually the real 2 Corinthians. So there's 1 Corinthians, then there's the lost letter, and then there's 2 Corinthians. And he wrote this candid letter to the Corinthians expressing his hurt and rebuking the Corinthians for their lack of support and defending the appropriateness of his ministry. And maybe he wasn't uh, at his best when he wrote the letter, and that's why the Lord saw fit to, uh, to have it get lost and not part of the canon. But, but there's this letter in between First and Second Corinthians that Paul wrote to the Corinthians where he was basically questioning why didn't they come to his defense and aid when he was there in Corinth. And then Paul sent this second letter, this lost letter, to the Corinthians through the hand of Titus. Titus is one of Paul's key traveling companions. And so Titus traveled west by sea to deliver the letter to Corinth, while Paul traveled north by land up towards Macedonia. And uh, Paul was going to meet Titus in Macedonia after Titus had delivered the letter. And the whole time that Paul was on his way to Macedonia and then waiting in Macedonia for Titus to show up, was thinking and wondering, left in suspense, about his relationship with the church in Corinth. How would the Corinthians respond to Titus and the letter that he was bringing? What kind of report would Titus bring back about the situation in Corinth? Were the Corinthians still loyal to Paul, or had they sided with the troublemaker and turned away from the gospel? And so there Paul was in Corinth, and he's troubled, and he's uneasy, waiting for Titus to come back with the message about the situation in Corinth. And Paul tells us in 2 verse 12 that while he was waiting for Titus in Corinth, his spirit had no rest. All right, so that's what Titus and Macedonia are about, and why they're being mentioned in 2 Corinthians. Macedonia was where Paul was waiting to hear back from Titus about how things were going in Corinth. All right? So with all that in place, let's then get back into our text here in chapter 7, verse 5. And Paul says that while he was waiting for Titus in Macedonia, he says his body had no rest and that he was afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Now, we don't know exactly what the situation was in Macedonia in particular. We can look at Paul's travels through the book of Acts, and there's nothing in Acts that stands out as particularly happening in Macedonia. And it may just be, and I perhaps may be inclined to go this direction, that what Paul is referring to about having no rest and feeling afflicted and having uh, fears within and troubles without, is that he's referring to all the stress and anxiety that he has with respect to the situation back in Corinth. We read from earlier in the letter, and then here I think again, that Paul was very stressed and anxious about the situation in Corinth. But whatever the case, Paul describes his time in Macedonia as fighting without and fear within, which is to say he was in distress. And I think sometimes we can think of Paul as a sort of apostolic superman, right? As someone who can just sort of go out into the, into the countryside, as it were, and into all the cities just preaching the gospel and all of the, the difficulties and the troubles just sort of pass over him like Teflon. But Paul was a human being, same as you and me, and he knew what it was to have afflictions without and fears within. And during his time in Macedonia, all of his stress and anxieties of his ministry had piled up 
to such a point that Paul says he had become downcast in verse 6. So it's all getting to him. But then look at verse 6 here. Paul is afflicted at every turn, fighting without, fears within. Verse 6, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. But God. So two of the best words in the Bible. Life is hard, but God. All may seem lost. We may be at the end of our rope, but God. So like in Acts chapter 10, Peter tells us how wicked men put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day, Peter says. Or like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, when he says that we were all dead in our sins and under the judgment of God, but God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. And that's the basic idea that Paul is saying here, that he was afflicted at every turn. He was fighting without and fear within, downcast in his soul, but God. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us. Now, if that was where Paul had finished that sentence, we might think, we might be left to think, that perhaps Paul, there in Macedonia, troubled, couldn't sleep one night, goes up on his rooftop to pray, staring up at the heavens, asking God, pouring out his heart to God, troubled and distressed. And there in his prayers, full of anxiety, but God steps in and gives him such an experience of divine presence that the peace of God, the kind of peace that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4 that passes all understanding, this peace of God then flooded into Paul's heart and gave him a supernatural sense of calm. But that's not what Paul says. Look again here at the whole verse and then the verse that follows. But God who comforted, who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. Paul was comforted by God by the coming of Titus. And then if we take a sneak peek through the rest of the letter, we can see, or the rest of this chapter, which we will in, in the weeks to come, we can see that when Titus finally arrived in Macedonia with news about the situation in Corinth, he brought a very good report from Corinth. The Corinthians declared their unswerving allegiance to Paul. They had apparently felt so bad about how things had ended with Paul the last time that Paul was in town that they disavowed the troublemaker, perhaps even too forcefully, Paul is worried about, and they reaffirmed their allegiance to Paul. They welcomed Titus as the representative of Paul with, with open arms, and they poured out their love upon Titus, and they sent Titus back with their love to Paul as an expression of their love for him. And so at just the right time, when Paul was full of anxiety and stress in Macedonia, wondering about the situation in uh, Corinth, Titus shows up with a good report. And Paul was so relieved to hear that things were good between him and the Corinthians. It brought him such peace to know that they were all in each other's good graces and that they had 
treated Titus so well and that he could look forward to seeing them again without having to worry about their love for him. And that's what Paul means when he says that the coming of Titus was the comfort of God. And I want to just emphasize here that Titus didn't come in lieu of God's comfort. Titus came as God's comfort. And of course, this makes sense when we remember that the whole world is a type and a sign of God's kind regard for us. So the warmth of the sun, the blue of the sky, the green of the fields, the life-giving rain, the majesty of the mountains, the strength of the man, the beauty of the woman, the creativity of the child, the taste of food, the cool, the drink, the ingenuity of humanity, all of these good things that God has created are conduits through which God's love and grace and goodness and his comfort comes to us. And the church, as the great type and sign of God's love, is the primary means by which God dispenses his comfort out into the world. So if you turn back in your Bible to the very beginning of Paul's letter, uh, here in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Paul picks up, starts right away with this uh, theme of God's comfort, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so Paul is saying that God gives his comfort to us so that we can give God's comfort on to other people. So that the comfort is passed in this sort of golden chain of discipleship that we have been talking about. And here Titus is for Paul, Paul is saying, an expression of God's comfort. He was just what Paul needed in that moment. And the coming of Titus to Paul there in Macedonia, is a reminder that God often uses his creation, and most especially his people, to mediate his grace and comfort. All right, now let me see if I can apply this in kind of two different directions. I've entitled the sermon, maybe some of you pay attention uh, to sermon titles. I don't usually pay very much attention to my sermon titles, I just have to come up with something. But I felt very clever about this particular sermon title. I titled this sermon, Give a Titus, Take a Titus. And if you're over 40, uh, you likely remember the give a penny, take a penny jars that were at the cashier uh, in the store, right? If you're like, you know, 20 and under, you don't know what we're talking about. But let me just tell you kids for a second that nothing was worse than having a $5 bill and going to the store and buying a pack of something for three. And then you had to carry 97 cents in change around in your pocket. It was miserable. So in kindness uh, to this problem, stores would put a jar, the give a penny, take a penny jar, on the counter. And then if it was $1.03, you could take three pennies out. And then you would give your 503 to the uh, cashier, and they would give you four paper bills back. It was a beautiful way for us all to live together in harmony with each other. <laughs> And then if you ever got some extra pennies, you would put your pennies in the give a penny jar, right? So it was just fantastic. So anyway, that's how I'm thinking of it, but not give a penny, take a penny. This is give a Titus, take a Titus. And let me see how we can explain how this works. So first point of application is we need 
to be willing to give a Titus. If God's love and comfort comes to the world through the world, and most especially through the church, then that means that we are all called to be a Titus for others as an expression of the comfort of God. God's love and care most often comes to us not by doing an end around the people of God, but through the people of God. That's how God's love comes to us, which means that we, as the people of God, are the means or the conduit through which God's comfort comes into the lives of others. So when the Good Samaritan, I think we all know the story, right? But when the Good Samaritan comes upon the battered man in the path, the Good Samaritan doesn't say to himself, this poor man is in a bad way. I could help him, but what he really needs is God's help, and then passed on by. No, the Good Samaritan became God's help to the man that was in need. His actions were an expression or an embodiment of God's help. <clears throat> now, we don't have the capacity to help the whole world. The needs are too great and our resources are not limitless. But God's desire is for us to be a Titus to the world around us as he directs and guides us by his spirit. Not because our love is so needed or so special, but because our love as the people of God is God's love to the world. That's how God's love goes out into the world. It goes out through our love. God takes our love, fills it up with his love, and we pass on our love as God's love out into the world. And it's all part of the golden chain of discipleship. The father loves the son with God's love. The Son loves the apostles with God's love. The apostles love the church with God's love. And the church then loves the world with God's love so that all of creation can be filled up with the love of God. And here's the great news for us as links within this golden chain of comfort, this golden chain of love. When we are Titus to another, because when God's comfort flows through us into the life of another, we too experience the love and the comfort of God in our life. That's how we pass it along. We have to embrace it and receive it in our life so that we have something to pass along into the life of others. We become beneficiaries of God's love as we become Titus to those around us. So I would encourage you then this morning to prayerfully lift your eyes and look around you and consider how you can leave a penny, as it were. How you can give a Titus, or maybe better said, how you can be a Titus to someone around you. All right, so give a Titus, that's my first point. Here's my second point, take a Titus. And it's really this second point that I want to maybe focus in and pay particular attention. Because some of you here this morning are you're quite fine being a Titus for those in need. You're happy to leave a penny in the leave a penny, give a penny, give a penny, take a penny jar. Because when you're dispensing God's blessings to others, you feel like you're in the power position. There's not as much of a sense of vulnerability. 
but you don't like having to take a Titus. Because taking a Titus is for people in need, people who are lacking. And most of us don't like to be in need or to lack. And if that's you, perhaps you've even found a way to spiritualize not taking a Titus. I grew up in a Christian home. Many of you uh, have had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. Advantages and disadvantages to that, but I'm so glad from a Christian upbringing. And from as far back as I can remember, I've always self-consciously understood the love and the grace of God. I've never had a time when I can remember not thinking uh, that there was a God. And I can recall having a number of very significant private moments, may call them, private encounters with God, even at a very young age. The earliest one that I can think back to, I was five years old. And in those encounters, it was like God himself came to me. He like pulled back the veil and he like touched my heart and revealed himself to me and expressed his love for me. And if I had one word that I could use to describe what those encounters produced in my heart, it would be the word comfort. It was such a comfort to see the face of God and his love and kindness to me. And those are very precious memories for me, and so much so that they're almost too sacred for me to feel like I can talk casually about them in public. And maybe you've had a moment like that, or moments like that, moments when God became more than just an idea, more than just a religion, moments when it was like God himself came to you and revealed himself to you gently, touched your face and expressed his love for you and brought deep comfort to your soul. And those types of moments can be hard to describe. They can't be easily put into words because our relationship with God transcends words. It transcends even our mental conceptions and ideas. And I'm very grateful for those moments. But over time, I mistakenly developed sort of stark distinction between the comfort that the world could give and the comfort that only God's presence could give. And I grew to view the comforts of the world as temporal and insufficient. And the comfort that comes from God is the only kind of comfort that really mattered. Because why would I need creature comforts if I have divine comforts. There's actually some truth there, but then I had an anxiety breakdown a couple of years ago, and I've shared uh, with you all about that in uh, previous sermons. I won't belabor that again here, but I spent about six weeks in pretty deep anxiety, not unlike perhaps Paul in Macedonia. I felt afflicted at every turn, fears, uh, uh, troubles without, fears within, and I was desperately in need of God's comfort. And during that time, I would try to get alone and pray or get alone and read my Bible, but I couldn't find my way to God's comfort. And do you know how God finally comforted me during that time? He comforted me through Jill and through some interaction with some very dear friends. And what God taught me during that season of anxiety wasn't merely that I needed him. I already knew that. 
What he taught me was that I needed him through others. I needed God's comfort to come to me through Titus, as it were, through Jill and through my, my friends. And that sometimes being vulnerable with just God isn't enough. Or perhaps better stated, I learned how to be vulnerable with God by being vulnerable with people. And I've since come to see that the strong dichotomy that I had made in my mind between the temporal and insufficient creature comforts on the one hand and God's eternal and sufficient divine comforts on the other hand have been a false dichotomy. Some of you perhaps are like me. Not everyone is prone to that same narrative that I just told, but maybe some of you are. You're prone towards a spirituality that tries to get everything that you need directly and unmediated from God. It's all about God. It's not about the world. And so when you're stressed and you're anxious and you're full of anxiety, you try to go directly to God. And you push away the world and you push away people and you push away creatures to try to find an unmediated access to God. And you are inclined towards a spirituality that strives to achieve independence from the world and independence from others. And you don't want to have to need anyone or anything, except God, of course. You think that if you believe in the Creator deeply enough, then you will no longer need the creation. And you think that the only kind of comfort that really counts is the unmediated comfort that comes directly from personal and private encounter with God. And again, those encounters are beautiful and they're meaningful and they're real and they're true. And ironically, I've started to have more of them since I have learned to depend on God through others. But when we cut ourselves off from the Tituses around us, we try to make ourselves independent of the creation. We're cutting ourselves off from one of the chief conduits through which God intends to bring his love and comfort into our lives. So listen, if that is you, don't buy into the false dichotomy that is either trusting God or trusting people. Don't tell yourself that as long as you have God's love, you don't need human love. Perhaps some of you, and I, I say this gently, you're closing yourself off to the world in an effort to self-protect. And you're telling yourself all the while that it's because you're going to just trust only God. But you can't close yourself off to the world and open yourself up to God at the same time. Because as long as we live in this created world, as long as we are creatures in this created world, we will need the mediated comfort of God that comes to us through his creation, and most especially through his people. And we see this in the incarnation itself. How did we come to know of God's love except that God's love came into creation and picked up what he had made, made himself one with creation and expressed his love through the humanity that he had made? 
God reveals himself to us in his creation. And there is no way for us to understand the love and the kindness and the goodness and the comfort of God except through what God has made. We can't and shouldn't open ourselves up to anyone and everyone, not even anyone and everyone in the church. So that's not what I'm suggesting or calling us to, but let me encourage you not to close yourself off to the Tituses that God would send into your life as expressions and conduits of his comfort. We cannot live as Christians in isolation from the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the conduit through which God's love comes to us because the body of Christ is the receptacle of the love of Christ himself out into the world. So be humble enough and trust God enough to let him comfort you like he comforted Paul through the coming into your life of another. We're going to close by singing the song, The Goodness of God. It's a song that we've sung a number of times here at Calvary. And we might be inclined, you might be inclined as you think about this song, to think about this song as referring only to those special, unmediated encounters with God. But let me encourage you to broaden out your thoughts about how God expresses his love and kindness to you. We live and move in a world that is awash with God's love. His goodness comes to us in all sorts of Tituses. In the love of our parents, in the love of a spouse, in the love of a brother or sister or our friends, even the timely and kind word of a stranger on the train. God is always wanting to reveal his love to us. And he bakes his love into the world that he has made and he's passing on his love to us all the time. The Apostle James says that every good and perfect gift that comes down to us comes to us from the Father of lights. And Jesus says that even the rain and the sunshine are to be received as God's gifts of love to the world. All that God has made is an expression of God's love and kindness. And as a, I think a big part of Christian maturity is learning how to see in the world God's own presence, his own energies, and his own love. The world in and of itself doesn't contain the love of God, but the world in Christ contains the love of God. And we can receive the love of God through all that he has made when we have the eyes to see that Christ is at the center of all things. So God longs to bless us. We're gonna celebrate and sing this here in a moment. God longs to bless you and receive the blessing of his comfort that he gives through the Tituses in your life. Father, thank you that you, when we were, uh, when we could not find our way to you and we couldn't, see your love in the world that you had made. You came yourself in Christ and you fused yourself to creation in the incarnation. And you have revealed now in Christ the full expression of your love. And now as we 
see the world through Christ's eyes. We are able to see your love in all things. You've been so good to us. You've been so kind to us in so many ways. Forgive us, Lord, for times that we've looked at this world as something other and distinct and not a gift from you. God, help us to see your hand of love in all that you have made. And God, if there's any here this morning that have not had their eyes opened by Christ and they still just see the world as just a bare, empty world, or they're trying to find their hope and their meaning in the world apart from you, God, I pray that you would cause them to see the reality of who Christ is so that they can see the true meaning and purpose of all that you have made. We pray this in Jesus' name.